So again, it's Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 to 40. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Barry. All right. So today uh, we are doing sort of a, a special sermon. For those of you who know that I've been participating in the Akinge Fellows program up at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. We go up there once a quarter to talk about something and to learn about a subject. And so we've learned about things like faith and business, faith in New England, faith and politics, faith and healthcare, faith and technology. And this most recent one, at the beginning of November, we learned about faith and education. And so I've been trying to preach of a response sermon to each of those things to help me continue to process and learn, but also to share it with you, the congregation. Uh, and so today, it's more of a, a topical sermon. We'll be looking at different uh, sermon passages or Bible passages as we talk about this theme of education. But before we do that, let me say a prayer, and then we'll get started. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for education. Uh, help us to... Uh, to grow in our minds, to become educated, to know you uh, better, Lord. I pray that you would open our minds to learn today, uh, learn from your word, learn from your Holy Spirit. Uh, we love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I wanted to start with the question, does education matter? Does education matter? Learning new things, studying. Now, I assume, unless you're like in the midst of school and you hate homework, uh, most of us are probably thinking, of course, education matters. Of course, education is very important. In Westford, uh, an estimated 45% of the people in this town have a four-year degree or higher. 45% of everyone in Westford. So that's a lot of people that have uh, kind of an undergraduate or graduate degree. We live in a community in Westford that values education. Uh, and so I guess I should perhaps rephrase the question. Not just does education matter, but does education matter to God? Does God care about education? Does God care about the life of the mind? Uh, a Pharisee uh, in the Bible was someone who was very educated. Uh, a Pharisee uh, understood the Old Testament, understood the, the Hebrew Scriptures, the law. And this expert in the law came up and asked Jesus sort of a similar question. Uh, he said, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? So what does it all come down to? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Now I want to focus a little bit on that piece. God says part of what it means to love him, Jesus says part of what it means to be in a relationship with God is to love him with your mind. Jesus calls us to love, God's, to love God with everything we have, right, with our heart. It's kind of the core of who we are, but that shouldn't be separate from our thoughts and our thinking. And so we are to develop our minds. The more we develop our minds, the more we can begin to know and experience and love God. 
Now, Jesus' answer here, he's actually quoting an Old Testament passage. He's quoting something called the Shema. And that Shema comes from the book of Deuteronomy. Shema is a Hebrew word that means listen or hear. Now, it doesn't just mean like hear it and let it pass through your mind and think about other things and do other things. No, it means hear and obey, right? When you say to someone, you're not listening to me. You know, you're saying, well, you're not, you're not hearing me and you're not doing what I want. Shema means hear and do or hear and obey. The Shema was a prayer that the Jewish people prayed probably twice a day, morning and evening. In fact, Jesus himself uh, probably grew up praying the Shema. Uh, and so here we find in the Shema uh, a close connection between loving God and actually education. So De- Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So it starts with the word here. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. So God wants us to love him with everything we have. And Jesus kind of clarifies that this includes our minds. What does God say? He wants our, his commandments to go deep into our hearts, to really sink deep. How do we do that? Through actually teaching, through education. If we look at verses 7 through 9, they say this. Impress them, so talking about the commandments, impress the commandments on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And so we see here, kind of what our video talked about a little bit earlier, the importance of uh, family devotionals and, uh, and, 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 and studying God's word together and going deep mixed with that of a church community. Write them on the door frames of your houses. Tie them on, on, your, on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. They're to be everywhere. Sink deep into God's word through study, through education. So God intended for his people to know the faith, to know what they believed, and this, for, to, this to be passed on from one generation to the next to the next. And they did this through teaching, through education. That means God values education. Education matters to God. And I want to clarify, this does not mean that God values or loves educated people more than non-educated people. Not at all. Or that he can only use people that have a, a degree or, or a master's or are highly educated. Not at all. But God does value the life of the mind. That also doesn't mean that God just values Christian education. We have a Christian education hour here. God cares about that, right? Just like Deuteronomy uh, was saying, God cares about his word being passed down from generation to generation. God loves and values uh, Bible studies and community groups and Christian education hours and preaching and theology books. But God also values math and biology and chemistry and engineering, and technology, and art, and writing, and communication, and theater, and education. God cares about all of it. It is all unto the Lord that we can do it. The list goes on and on. A poet uh, who also was into politics uh, wrote this passage. Named, he was named David, and he wrote Psalm 19, uh, 1 through 2, actually. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. This means that if we study nature, we can learn something about God. 
This means as we study uh, uh, the arts and the sciences, we can detect something about the one who made the arts and the sciences. So when you sit under a good teacher uh, that teaches you the nuances of science or of a foreign language or how to solve a complex math equation, that means you are learning something about the very creativity of the God who made those things. The God who designed our world in such a way that it would all fit together. And so you can learn something about the creator by studying the creation in all of its aspects. And so I want to take a moment uh, and kind of uh, acknowledge our educators in this room. So if you are a, uh, a homeschool teacher or a private school teacher or a public school teacher, a university uh, teacher, a tutor, or if you're one of our Christian Education Hour teachers, would you just take a moment and stand up? Would you just stand up so that we can give you a round of applause? Someone has to stand up here. Thank you. Come on, stand up. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Praise God for educators. Uh, you didn't know I was going to make you do that. Uh, it's always, uh, it's good to acknowledge uh, those that help us develop our minds Help us develop how we think and what we understand because those things ultimately point towards our relationship with the creator. That our creator values and cares about everything that he has created, all of creation. Uh, it's not just the Bible things that matter. The Bible things do matter. But it's also everything matters to God. I appreciate this quote uh, from a poet who wrestled with this concept. I was brought up in a Christian environment where because God had to be given preeminence, nothing else was allowed to be important. I have broken through to the position that because God exists, everything has significance. That's what we believe. The scripture gives value to everything. And so when we study those other things, we can know a little bit more about God. So we don't want to believe that only Christian things matter to God or only Bible things matter to God. Uh, because when we do that, we actually commit that uh, there's this uh, early church heresy called Gnosticism where it was like only, you know, only the things of the spirit are important to God. The body's bad. The flesh is bad. One day we're going to float away and go to heaven, and that's what it's all about. No, our God actually says everything matters. All of creation matters. The very uh, beginning chapters of the Bible start with the story of creation. So education matters to God. You know what this means as we continue to develop this idea, this thought? This means that all truth is God's truth. All truth is God's truth. That means it doesn't matter where the truth comes from. If the truth comes from the Bible, amen. We find truth there. But also amen if we find truth in a classroom lecture. If it's true, it's good. If it's true, it's God's truth. Because the very nature of God uh, reflects, uh, the very nature of truth reflects God's character. We believe in a God of truth. James 1.17 says this, Every good thing, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like a shifting shadow. Every good thing is from God. Our God is truth. And so when we look and we experience and we find truth in our world and in creation, we can know a little bit more about God. Where do we find truth most clearly embodied? In Christ Jesus himself. 
Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, I'm not saying that uh, in order to uh, come to God, all you need to do is look out into creation. I'm not saying that at all. You do need that kind of special revelation. You need the Bible to, to tell you how to get to God. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. There are so many stories of, of people who love to look into science, look into nature, look into creation, and they become convicted that there, there is a God. They don't know who the God is. They need to hear the Bible, that it's Jesus, that it's our Heavenly Father. But nature and science and things of beauty that have logic and order to them show that there is a designer, that there is a God. And so as Christians, we love truth no matter where it comes from, whether it's the revelation of God's word, the Bible, or a chemistry lab science experiment. Now, this whole idea that all truth is God's truth, this is not a new concept. Augustine, Aquinas, Calvin, they all believed in this. Now, maybe some of you are thinking, but what happens, what happens when uh, these things conflict? What happens when we uh, read something in the Bible and then we do some sort of science experiment <laughs> in the Bible and the science, they seem to tell a different story than each other? Well, there are two options. Either the science is wrong or our interpretation. Our interpretation of the Bible is wrong. How we read and, and study God's word is incorrect. For example, I'm just going to throw something out there, not, not a big topic at all. How old is the earth, right? <laughs> How old is creation? Is creation 6,000 years old to 10,000 years old, as the creation kind of theory says, based on the genealogies in the Old Testament and the seven-day creation account in Genesis 1? Or is it 4.5 billion years old, like the scientists say, uh, based on their geology and the fossil record? Well, I have, I have the answer, right? So uh, just listen, listen closely. I don't know if I have the answer. I don't think I do. But as part of the Akengay program, we had to read a book. And we've done this for everyone. And we read this book called uh, The Scandal of the Evangelical Mind by Mark Knoll. Now, I highly recommend this book. If you want to read it, I would love to sit down and talk it through with you. Uh, it's, a, it's a challenging book. But it does have a few things that I thought were really interesting on this topic. Uh, for example, Ellen White, uh, she lived from 1827 to 1950. She founded uh, the Seventh-day Adventism movement, uh, and she actually originated the idea of a young earth. And that means this belief that the earth is only 6,000 to 10,000 years old is actually a pretty young idea. It is not part of traditional Christian beliefs. And up until the 1950s and 60s, most conservative Protestants believed in an old earth and that God filled our world through a series of creative acts. That was pretty interesting to me. I did not know that. And so maybe you're thinking about, well, how do, how do we, how do we uh, mix uh, science in our study of the Bible? Well, either the science is wrong or we need to change our understanding of how we are reading the Bible. Maybe we're not quite there uh, as we read the scriptures. And so for some of you, maybe you hear this and this might concern you. It's like, well, we want to take the Bible seriously. Amen. We, we love God's word. We love the Bible. But for some of us, we also may feel a sense of relief. Oh, I don't have to hold my science and my faith separately. Somehow those two things should fit together. 
Because if God created everything, then everything is going to line up with him and how he created everything through the scriptures. And so if you're like me, you probably have more questions. You're like, these two points are nice, Jonathan, but this did not solve it for me. If anything, this provokes more questions in me. Great, that's what I was kind of hoping for. To challenge you to pick up the book and to learn, to educate yourself, to grow the life of the mind. All truth is God's truth. Now, even as we highlight the life of the mind in our educations, we need to hear a warning, don't we? Because education does matter to God. All truth is God's truth, but knowledge is not an end in itself. See, we want more knowledge because we want to know God better. But it's easy. It's so easy for knowledge in and of itself to become an idol. Hear this warning from Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Of making many books, there is no end, and much study wearies the body. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. So, yes, studying can make you tired, but I think the point it's, it's making is that, uh, is that if our study and if our education, if, the, if, our, if our development of our minds and our thoughts and our knowledge is separated from a relationship with God, if it's separated from the fear of the Lord, that's like a humble fear, that's a, a respectful fear, that's loving God and knowing him and giving him the honor that he is due. If it's separate, then it's pointless. But if those two things are together, that's how it's supposed to be. We're supposed to develop our, our minds and thoughts through a relationship with God. As God is walking with us through our studies, no matter where we are, we are studying, no matter what we are focusing on. And so if we are learning, if we are pursuing learning, if we are pursuing knowledge and education for ourselves, we're actually in trouble. 1 Corinthians 8, uh, 1 says this, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Knowledge puffs up while love builds up. This doesn't mean we don't need knowledge, but this does mean that we need humility with our knowledge. And that as we study and as we grow, we need to do so with God, not apart from him. So uh, Paul actually warns in the New Testament. He gives a, another warning. So this is Paul's writing from 1 Corinthians, but he writes uh, to Timothy. He says, uh, he, he warns about those that are always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. See, we want to come to knowledge of truth in our world, but ultimately we want it to point us to the knowledge of the one who is true, <laughs> that ultimate truth of God himself, of Christ Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. And so we need scriptures to help us understand that big picture, that big story that, uh, that science can't reveal to us. And so there's this beautiful uh, working together of the two. They're not in opposition, but they can, they can work as one. So knowledge is not an end of, an end in of itself, uh, we want to pair that with a relationship with God. In some very real sense, education is spiritual formation. We are formed uh, spiritually as we educate ourselves and in the way that we educate ourselves. And it can bring us to God as we do it as an act of worship. I am learning so I can better worship my creator or I am, I am doing it so that I can make more of myself. 
That's actually spiritually forming as well, isn't it? But in the wrong direction. And so we wanna, we wanna use our education to follow God, to love him better. As part of the Akengay program, uh, we actually got to tour Boston College. Now, this is a picture of Boston College. You can sign, kind of see our, our group there to the left. Uh, you can see a, a statue of St. Ignatius of Loyola. <laughs> Just slaughtered that name, Loyola. Um, uh, this is a beautiful campus if you've ever been there. It's actually a Jesuit school, so that's who St. Ignatius is. He was the founder of the Jesuits. But what I really enjoyed and appreciated about uh, this college uh, this place of higher education, uh, a lot of brilliant minds go there, uh, is that they realize that education is about spiritual formation. They want to form people and not just uh, push out uh, like products. And so they have three driving questions at this school that they ask every student, every teacher. The three driving questions are, what are you good at? What do you love? And what does the world need of you? What are you good at? What do you love? And what does the world need of you? And if a student says, well, I just want to get a degree and make as much money as possible, they're like, well, that probably won't satisfy you. <laughs> You're not going to get much out of that. That won't make you happy. So they realize, based on their, their kind of Christian foundation, the way of Christ, that life needs to be about something more. And they do share about Christ and following him. This is a Catholic school, uh, but they don't push it on anyone, so you can go there and completely ignore that part of the school if you want. But they want to form people, and they want to link education and, 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 um, and living God's ways. Education matters to God. All truth is God's truth. Knowledge is not an end and of itself. And we see the importance of education, actually, as we look at the, the development of God's people. If we look at the story of God's people from the Old Testament through the New Testament, we can see that God actually sets aside people who do have a, a knowledge. See, many of God's chosen leaders were highly educated. Uh, now, this does not mean that you have to be highly educated to lead other people to Christ. Not at all. Uh, but it's nice and it's encouraging to see examples of some that were. Uh, we see Moses, actually. Uh, Moses, in Acts 7.22, says this, Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. We tend to think of Moses as someone who, like, he had trouble publicly speaking and he stumbled with his words. He had to get his brother to help him out, Aaron. Uh, but he was educated in Pharaoh's palace. I mean, he was a, a highly educated man. How about uh, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Daniel 1.4, uh, so these are the young men that were taken into exile into Babylon. And it says to find young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. And they spent years studying. In schools, God really used uh, these four men. How about Ezra? So this is, uh, you know, we have Moses leading out of Egypt, and then we have, this is the exile, then after the exile, we have Ezra. This Ezra came up from Babylon. He was a teacher well-versed in the law of Moses, which the Lord, the God of Israel, had given them. And he re-educates the people. They spend a whole day, like, reading God's word together as the people of God. How about in the New Testament? 
Well, Jesus himself actually is a pretty good example. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was on him. Jesus was a little bit of of an intellectual prodigy. I remember when his parents took him to the temple uh, and he got left behind (laughs) and uh, his parents like went home and uh, they were on the journey home and they realized, oh, Jesus isn't with us. I don't know how that happened, uh, but it did. They go back to the temple and they find Jesus like uh, conversing and dialoguing with the greatest minds of his time in the temple. It's pretty impressive. It's pretty amazing. Uh, What about Jesus' 12 disciples? Sometimes there's this idea that, well, they were just a bunch of uneducated uh, men who led the most uh, successful missionary effort in the world. And I think there's some truth to that. Uh, But I also think we should recognize that the disciples probably spoke between two to three different languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, perhaps being able to write in some of those. Uh, They were small business owners, fishermen. Uh, At least one of them was a tax collector, had to communicate with Rome and uh, take care of that. And all of them sat under a rabbi's teachings for three years. That's a three-year like master of divinity right there. What I like about Jesus' disciples, though, is that they're not prideful, not arrogant. They just want to know Christ. They just want to know Jesus. And so I think they show that God can use the most educated people in the world, the most simple. He can use anyone across a broad spectrum. If we look elsewhere in the New Testament, who do we find? We find Luke, wrote the Gospel of Luke and Acts. He was a doctor, a physician. Paul, Paul himself was highly educated. Uh, Acts 22 says this, I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. And if we, if we study like Paul's writings, we see someone who was highly educated. Uh, and he, that, that education, his studies, his knowledge actually helped him in his mission to reach the Gentiles, the non-Jews. And what did he want to reach them with? Just the gospel. See, education matters to God, but education also matters for the gospel. The gospel is the good news. God sent his one and only son into this world to save us from our sins, that each one of us is sinful and broken and needs a savior, and that God provided that savior through Christ Jesus, someone who can forgive us and lead us into an entirely new life. Now, this is a pretty simple message, the gospel, the good news, uh, but Uh, It needs to be communicated across cultures, uh, across languages, uh, to to people that come from different stories and different backgrounds. It needs to be communicated in a winsome way. And this is where education can actually help us reach people of all levels, uh, from the educated to the least educated. See, it helps us reach our neighbor. When the Apostle Paul arrived in Athens on one of his missionary journeys, he encountered a city full of idols. Uh, the, the city of Athens had idols everywhere. And he was so bothered by this, he went into the synagogue and he began preaching the gospel, the good news about Jesus. He went into the marketplace, the Agora, and began telling the Jews and the Greeks that Jesus died and rose again. And as he was doing this, he encountered a group of highly educated people, the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. Oh boy, I'm going to share the gospel with some philosophers. It's going to get interesting. And they invite Paul. Obviously, they wouldn't invite anyone to come and speak to them, but they invite Paul to come and speak to them, uh, and he does. They go to this rock formation called the Areopagus, 
or Mars Hill. And they, they, they would meet there to discuss and to learn new ideas. And Paul addresses them. He preaches to them. And he does so in a way that clearly communicates he understands their beliefs and uh, their religion, their philosophy, their culture. And he explains to the truth to them in a way that they can understand. He talks about their altar to an unknown God. As he was walking through the city, he, he encountered an altar to an unknown God. He says, hey, I know that God. <laughs> In fact, he's the one true God. Let me tell you about him. Uh, he's different than your idols. He ruled over everything. He, ruled over all, he rules over all of creation. And then he, he references some of their poets. Uh, in Acts 17, 28 through 30, he says, For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. In other words, God created us. God created all people. And so we can know him. He is living. He is active. He is different than your idols. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. So your poets, people of Athens, your poets seem to understand that there is a God and that God created us. They're right, but they're also wrong in some ways. God is different than you might imagine. God is greater. And so repent and put your faith in the one God sent, Christ Jesus. And the result of being able to communicate to them cross-culturally it's that they repent and they believe. Not everyone does, but a group of them become believers. See, I believe that education is worthwhile in and of itself, uh, but I also believe it's, it's worthwhile as it helps us communicate the gospel messages. It helps us uh, tell other people about who God is. And so there's beauty in that. So education can help us uh, reach our neighbor. Uh, it matters for the gospel, and education helps us love our neighbor. So if we go back to our passage uh, in Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, the greatest commandment, loving God with all of our heart, soul, and mind, this can actually help us love our neighbor better. See, it finishes this way, Matthew 22, verse 37. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So we're to love our neighbor like we love God. And that means we're also to love our neighbors with our minds. It's by using our minds that we can better love and serve and care for those around us. We can do it more thoughtfully, more carefully. See, the more we understand math and science and sociology and psychology and economics and writing and politics and art, the better we can care for and love those around us. Education can help us love our neighbors better. Education matters. Now, we've been talking a lot about education, and I hope that uh, wherever you are on your journey, that this will help you appreciate the knowledge that God has given you, right? If he has given you a, a high school education, that's wonderful. Let's praise God for that. And if he's given you more than that, uh, two years or four years or a, a master's or a doctorate, Amen. Let's praise God for the education that he has given us. And then let's challenge ourselves. Let's challenge ourselves to become lifelong learners. Wherever you are in life, uh, be, be challenging yourself to grow in your knowledge, your, 
be challenging yourself to, to further yourself in your field, uh, in those areas that, that you love. What do you love? What do you care about? What are you good at? Ask yourself that question and then seek to study more of that, to grow in that area. And also, study God's word. Right? Grow in your understanding of who God is. And you can do that through some of the ways that we've highlighted here at Cornerstone today. I want to close uh, with a video, uh, so another video today. Uh, but it's a short video, and it highlights how uh, several churches in the Boston area are actually partnering together with a local school, uh, a local middle school in Boston, uh, to um, love on that school, to love and support the education in the Boston area. This is called the Boston Education Collaborative, uh, and it's run through a program called the Emanuel Gospel Centered. Uh, there's a woman that came to the Akinge program uh, and presented on it and kind of told us about it and played this video. Uh, you'll see her in this video. Uh, her name is Ruth. And I hope that it will uh, encourage us, encourage us as a church to see how uh, we can be valuing education not only within our doors, right, within this church body, but also in our community and uh, out in the world. Uh, so education matters to God. I'm going to say a closing prayer after the video, and then the worship team will come up. So, you know, here's this wonderful, wonderful example of a white suburban church, a mostly black urban church, and a mostly Latino uh, urban church that are coming together in a consistent way for the sake of Jesus Christ, for the sake of one school and a whole bunch of kids, and a principal who is grateful to have all of us. The churches did not come in and say, well, we're here to do this for you. It's we're here to serve. And develop real and lasting friendships where we, we really love each other. We look forward to our meetings together. It's, it's just, it's not work. I feel like it's more of a calling and, um, and I'm just blessed to be a part of it. Getting what I want give something to the community with a group of people that love what they are doing. I think that it's the responsibility of the, of the church to express the love which Jesus spoke about in practical ways in the community, since love is what you do, not what you say. I'm just kind of reliving it in my mind right now. It, um, I said I wanted a space where students can sort of unwind, reflect. And I didn't have the term sanctuary in mind, but when I walked into the room that morning, it was like a sanctuary. And there are parts of the continuing aspect of this that Emmanuel Gospel Center has brought to the table with their unique knowledge of resources in the city, who's doing what and where and why, of other school partnerships and how they were working. Ruth, Ruth is just a very, very special person. She works for an organization that walks beside people 
The mission of the Boston Education Collaborative is to work alongside churches, Christian leaders, schools, and nonprofits so that they can come alongside urban students and empower them for the education that they need for their transformation and for the transformation of their communities. BPS has said that they want a faith-based partner with every school. And so we want to respond to that. It's a tremendous opportunity for the church to put their theology into practice. Right now, Emmanuel Gospel Center is really excited because we are seeing more and more churches involved and engaged in supporting schools. We have more than 23 churches that are supporting more than 30 schools in the Boston Public Schools. Lots of churches feel they don't have the resources to do it, and I would like to dispel that because it can start small. You can come in and just come alongside a principal and find out what their needs are and how your church can best match those needs. And so I feel like just coming to the table to have the conversation can really have a powerful impact on the broader community. In John 13, Jesus says, By this the world will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Together, in partnership, we look a little more like the kingdom of God and the way it's going to be forever. Heavenly Father, thank you for education. Thank you for the life of the mind and that we can grow in our knowledge of who you are uh, by studying our, uh, and applying ourselves to the arts and the sciences. Uh, thank you also for your revelation, for the, the word of God uh, that you give us the, as a clear pathway for knowing you, a clear way that we can understand who you are. Lord, help us not to uh, put... Uh, uh, put these two in conflict with each other when they don't need to be. Help us to understand your word and to understand our world so that we can better understand you. Lord, we love you and uh, we just pray for our time of worship, Lord. Uh, would we worship you for who you are? Uh, it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.